Good morning, everybody. Um, I'm here at Jason and Jenny Simpson's house uh, near the Marshall Trail, near Cornerstone. Beautiful setting and um, excited to bring to you the message today from our series called Beginnings Bear a Sheet. And I want to start today with a quote from one of my favorite authors, Eugene Peterson. He's describing here what God is continually doing, what I think God is doing in our lives, even right now, as you're at home watching this message. He says this, one of the core messages of the gospel is that God invades us with new life. But the setting for this is, in the most, is most often in the ordinariness of our lives. The new life takes place in the place and person of our present. It is not a means by which God solves problems, but God creates new life. That's his work that he's always doing, creating new life in us. He is not a problem solver, but a person creator. I love that last part because it helps us see what God is doing. So often we just ask God to solve our problems and we miss the, the character that he's trying to form inside of us. He wants to form his new life in us and reveal his character in the world. And as we've seen in this, in this series, that is the beginning of understanding our calling is to bear back the image of God to him and to fill the world with his character. And today I'm teaching on how God's character is revealed in a complementary fashion in our two genders male and female, in concert, revealing the character of God. And so today is about understanding what it means to be a man, what it means to be male and masculine, what it means to be a female, a woman, and to uh, show femininity in this world. And so as we get started, I just want you to spend some time just thinking. So a little introspection here. This is something most people have never asked themselves. But if you were to answer the question, what is the purpose of your gender, what would you say? How would you answer that question? Is there any purpose at all? Or another way you can think of it, let's say a young, impressionable, beautiful child full of potential and willing to learn came to you and said, what is the purpose, if any, of my gender, of me being a little boy or me being a little girl? What would you say? The answer that we tell ourselves and that we tell others and teach others and model for this world is very, very important because gender is God's idea and your gender and my gender is not an accident. It's not just the result of chance. And we read this in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. Here's our passage for today, just one short verse. It says, and so God created man in his image. He created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, the two Hebrew words, the ancient words that we're kind of pulling the meaning and the message out of today comes what we get male and female. Zakar for male and the Hebrew word nekabah for female. And I'm going to describe both of those for you in a moment. But what I want you to see is that it was God that first made a distinction between men and women. And it is not a cultural construct. It's here from the very beginning. This is a foundational truth that people need to understand so that they can flourish. God was the first to distinguish between men and women. Every one of us, think of this, is a true original. And there's a lot that goes into you. And there's a lot that goes into me. We have our personalities. And, and many of you are right now into your Enneagram type. And I'm not sure God had the nine types in mind when he created us. Um, but that's certainly part of you. Uh, a few weeks ago, my, my second son, oldest son, Wyatt, asked God, he said, Dad, what Enneagram type do you think Jesus was? He's probably a two, wasn't he? And I looked at Wyatt with a stern face and I pointed my finger and I said, he's definitely an eight. Well, none of that's true. But God knows our type. He knows what we're like and our personality and our interests. God uses all of it. He uses our story. Eventually, he uses our failures. He uses all of these things. All these things go into who you are. But there's another unique part of you, and it is your gender. God chose it. Think of that. 
So often today we walk around believing that we're not created beings. And that leaves us feeling um, without value. Um, when we understand that we are made with design, it brings incredible value into our lives. But understanding that your gender was God's choice makes it special. Gender is a treasure because gender is primarily an expression of God's relational character. So let me say that again. Gender is primarily an expression of God's relational character. And so if you think of God, God himself is a relationship. He is a community, the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit living in camaraderie together. Um, they are relational and he shares that with us. Now, within that original community of God, there is no hierarchy and there is no superiority. So it's important to say, as we talk about the genders, that both genders are fully equal and they are complementary. And that may not be your experience. That might not be the experience of the world. But what God designed is that the two genders live in equality and in a complementary fashion, showing his image in the world. So gender is primarily an expression of God's relational character, which means gender has tremendous purpose. Your life tells a story, but so does your gender. He made us gendered image bearers of God. So a particular way that me as a man shows off the character of God in this world and a particular way that, for example, my wife shows off the image of God in this world. Now, before we get to the two words, um, just because messages like this can be a little bit sticky in our culture today, I want to preface the rest of this message uh, with three statements. So, yes, three statements of preface. So first of all, let me tell you what this message doesn't mean or what I'm not trying to say. I'm not trying to fill our minds with uh, superficial cultural stereotypes from old generations. It's really important that we stop defining masculinity and femininity in terms of habits and cultural traits and cultural expectations. For instance, there are plenty of guys that don't like to hunt and lift weights and drive big trucks and watch MMA. And there are plenty of girls that don't like romance movies or fancy dresses or wearing makeup or they're not described as girly or delicate. See, femininity and masculinity can look different in different people. So we're not talking about that. So that's the first statement of, uh, to get started. The second one is this. This message, along with any other message about gender, will not sort out all of the confusion that is in our culture today about gender. So um, some of you may be saying, what about my friend who struggles with gender? What about my friend who has gender dysphoria? What about my friend that identifies themselves in, as a sexual minority? Or what about my friend that identifies themselves as non-binary? I'm not gonna pretend to sort all of that out. But what I wanna do is I wanna use the word of God that starts from the very beginning to give us a vision for our gender. So I'm not gonna sort all that out, but what we can do is we can find a vision that will be helpful. There are a lot of competing visions about gender right now in our culture, and uh, they really are anti in the beginning. They are go against our created nature. For instance, I have four boys who are all a part of the Boulder Valley school system, and we love the public schools here. Elise and I um, help support it however we can. We're glad that our boys are in the school. We feel grateful that they get to be a part of a great school district. But one thing that has grieved us over the years is that our boys are being taught things that are not here in the scriptures. They're being taught that gender is fluid, that it's a choice, that it's simply a social construct. That, my friends, is a message counter to what we see in Genesis 1.26. Gender is a choice by God, and it has a vision to it. So second piece of preface, the third is this. 
Um, this issue, like everything else right now in our culture, it seems like, has been politicized, which means it's very polarized. And what that means is that it's really hard to listen to what people are saying and we jump to conclusions and we jump to like the political visions about each of these issues. I wanna hope that we can avoid doing that. And I'm gonna try to be really precise with my words so that I'm not misunderstood. But I think it's important as you listen that you're listening for meaning and that we don't react to the things taking place. All right, so um, when we let messages get politicized, what happens is they become exclusive messages. And this message is not meant to be exclusive. As Christians, we should continually remind ourselves that it's our job to make more room at the table for more people who don't feel welcome, okay? And right now, there are a lot of people struggling with gender that don't feel like they have a room in the church. So this is not meant to be exclusive. We want them to be a part. Um, But this message is to take the vision of gender right out of the beginning and to move ahead. And listen, we cannot progress further than God. We cannot progress without God. So saying all that, gender is a grace, It's not a mistake. It's not a result of chance. It's a power shared with you and me. And it ultimately is about God and expressing his character in the world. So let's go um, through both of these words. And let's start with the ladies. The Hebrew word that we have translated to female is the word nekabah. And remember, this is a relational grace. And um, but the way I'm going to describe it, you're going to see how it also describes the physical traits of a woman. But it's meant to show the relational grace of God. So the broad strokes of what it means to be female means to be one that invites others in. So this is a choice. Um, It's a result of a woman's personal choice. She has power to choose, but a woman can choose to be inviting to be open towards others and new things. So first of all, it means to be inviting. Second of all, nekabah means to receive. So along with being inviting, a a woman is acting out of her feminine strength just as God does when she receives others. When once again, there is a choice here to make room for others, to make others feel welcome and safe and secure. And so to invite and to receive. And then lastly, when that does occur, women have the unique strength to wrap around or surround with nourishment that which is life-giving. And so women have a unique capacity to give joy and love and care and passion. So to invite, to receive, and to wrap and to nourish. Now, if you think about that definition, that can look very different woman to woman. So, you know, women, their traits are different. They act differently. They live within different relationships. But this is something that God has placed inside of every woman. So think of this, women, how special this is. In the midst of an ugly, lonely, impersonal, dehumanizing world, you have a unique strength that is of God to help people feel connected, seen, belong, and welcomed. Each of you has your own different facets of beauty. You have your own outer beauty, your talents, but it's your inner beauty that God has placed in you that is to be marveled at. In Proverbs 31, we're given a description of a woman who has great inner beauty, and it's appropriate that she's praised in this chapter. She is a woman that is not weak. She is not waiting for things to happen. She's a leader. She's a go-getter. She's actually in the middle of commerce at the city gates. She's powerful. Um, She's able to fulfill her potential. But one of the things that makes her very special, and you see it in the passage, is that she includes others. She welcomes others. She is caring about different people. And so because of this combination of things and her living out her femininity in a very strong and powerful way, she is praised. Now, a couple times in the chapter, Proverbs 31, she's described with a word that's often not associated with women, but it should be more often. And the word is valiant. 
she was described as valiant. She has valiance to her. To be valiant means you have the rare combination of courage and excellence. A woman who is valiant is excellent and courageous in living out and relating to the people in her life, living out her purpose and relating to the people in her life. This is special, special attention to others. This is a valiant, praiseworthy thing. Now, I think that the reason that God has shared this part of his, his character with women, uh, or the, what we see for this, is this is why we often see women being more empathetic, better listeners, more caring. Certainly, this is not the case for everyone. But this is why we kind of see this often across the board. This is part of God's natural design inside of you. So what this means is a girl that's like this, or a woman that's like this, is always making room for more people in her life. She cares about them. She's intentional about building relationships, and she's courageous in extending herself to others and being generous and being giving. I often give this message to university students, and I say to the females in the room when we get to this part of the message that uh, you, are, you are being very feminine when you are always welcoming new people into your community because we know that at that age, uh, girls can often be possessive. But when you're open in your relationships and you're receiving and you're nourishing, you're living out your feminine strength. Now, one thing that I love seeing right now in our culture is that our culture is providing more opportunities for women to lead. And we're seeing that women are just as capable as men of, of leading and they bring a different aspect. I think one of the nice things that we see women bringing when they're in those conversations about leadership and culture is they bring a more inclusive, hospitable, caring environment. They notice people and they make sure that people, men and women, are not treated like commodities or machines. They make sure they're tre cre uh, treated like created beings. So those is, that's a description of what it means to be female. Now, I want to spend a little time on the threats to this. So this is what I want you to hear, both men and women. When, guys, when I get to you and women right now, no one can take away your feminine or masculine strength, but you can give it away yourself with certain things. So here's the first threat. Women, when you give your heart to lesser things before God, you will give away your feminine strength. So when you give your heart, first of all, let's say to a career or to something even like, as good as a perfect family, or you give yourself to a relationship or a man, what you're doing is you're setting yourself up to be disappointed and hurt. There is only one person that's able to fulfill all the needs of your heart. There is only one soulmate out there for you, and his name is Jesus. He is the only one that is able to fill your heart completely and free your heart from all the pulls of other things. Now, what's ironic is when we first go to Jesus, this applies to all of us, but I'm speaking to women right now. When you first go to Jesus and you let him fill your heart and free your heart, we are better able to handle relationships. So what that means for women is when Jesus first fills your heart, it becomes this overflow and you are more open and receiving and nourishing because of what you've received from him. It's certainly true that we can only give away what we first received. So the first threat is giving your heart away to lesser things. So think about what that might be for you. The second threat I want to mention is uh, your past, and your past ha uh, that might include having been hurt or rejected. Counselors often say that this is one of the primary fears of women, of being hurt. So think of the way this works with your purpose, your gender purpose. Let's say you've been hurt or rejected in the past. What is natural to do is to take a step back and to close yourself off and to put up the walls and to separate, to guard yourself. Think of what that's doing. You're forfeiting your gender grace of being open and receiving. And I'm not talking about, um, you know, that we should avoid being wise. Uh, we should, certainly should be wise and have boundaries and things like that and not let people run over us. But women, you know better than I do what this is like when you're hurt and you want to close off and hide. 
So that's the second uh, threat that, that women have. And the third is this, it's comparison. This is a real problem in our culture, especially with women, and especially it has to do with appearance and vanity, a focus on the outward appearance. Our media is obsessed with vanity. Our media is constantly telling women, this is what you should look like. By the way, that vision is always changing, so uh, you're never gonna catch up to it if you're trying to live for that. But what comparison does is it puts you at odds with others. You're competing against them. How can you be open and receiving uh, to someone that you're competing with? See, who women who live out of their true femininity and they're not letting comparison get in the way, these are women who are not threatened by the beauty and the blessing and the success and the strength of other women. They celebrate it. It's a beautiful thing. They don't forfeit their strength by comparing themselves. They don't find themselves in this insecure place or this prideful place, but they're a person that's open and receiving and nourishing. Now, a great example of a woman like this in the scriptures is, is Ruth. Uh, Ruth should be celebrated. She is. There's a, a whole book of the Bible named after her. Many of you know the story. Ruth experiences tremendous loss and uncertainty. She moves away with her family. She loses her husband. She loses her father-in-law. And she loses her brother-in-law. And what's left are these three widowed women trying to live together in a foreign country. And her mother-in-law is getting ready to leave. And she says to the daughter, daughter-in-laws, you need to stay here and hope you can build a new life for yourself. But I'm in trouble. Lady my age, without men in my life to care for me in this culture, I'm in trouble. But what does Ruth do? In the midst of her pain and uncertainty and fear, she moves towards her mother-in-law and she stays open. She continues to receive. She continues to bring life. And because of that, she redeems the whole story. And many of you know the way the story ends up is Ruth marries a man named Boaz and they become the descendants of David, the descendants of Jesus. See, when men and women work in their purposes together, God brings incredible life. Ruth is an example of beauty and strength, but also brokenness and the ability to to be resilient, to continue to stay open and to nourish others and to um, to stay loyal and loving. Larry Crabb describes feminine strength this way. He says, femininity is a relational style, an invitational way of relating to other people that says, I invite you to come into me. I'm not here to control you. If you move move towards me in godly movement, you'll find an inviting, nourishing, supportive, wise woman who's going to be there with you in all the godly movement that you make towards me. Women are an absolute marvel because God is a marvel. Incredible creation. And my wife is my very favorite. All right, let's move on to the guys and uh, the broad strokes for the definition of what it means to be male. The word zakar is it means to remember, to move and to impact. Now, before I get to that, I do need to spend a little more time on the guys, because right now we are living in a uniquely hard time to be a male. Tremendously confusing. It's not quite the same as it is for females right now. And proof of this is what's happened during the Me Too movement, right? That whole movement, which was so important for our culture, rightly called out men and identified toxic masculinity and says this kind of thing needs to stop. But you don't have to go looking very, uh, very far or spend a lot of time on the Internet looking up things about just the struggles of boys and men today to find just uh, mountains of evidence. Um, Let me give you a couple resources. So Philip Zimbardo, many of you know him. He's most famous for doing the Stanford prison experiment, but he has a TED talk that's called The Demise of Boys. Very popular TED Talk because it's so true. Demise of boys. He has another book that's out called Male Disconnected. I recommend it to any parent of boys. 
he shares some of these stats in there. He says that men or boys are diagnosed with ADHD at twice the rate of girls. We men or boys perform worse in standardized testing. We just have to look at SAT stats and, and from the last three decades. Boys are suspended and expelled from school at a disproportionate rate from girls. As we get older, we use more drugs and more alcohol and we do it more often. We are much less likely to seek help with mental health issues, with such, which is such a guy quality, right? We're never gonna ask for help. We're gonna hide what we're struggling with. But we're also doing tremendous damage. We commit 90% of the homicides. We're 35 times more likely than women to commit suicide. By the way, that number has risen 50% since 1980. The CDC said this about the suicide rate for boys ages 15 to 19, that it's gone up 31% since 2007. So to say we are in a crisis uh, of masculinity would be an understatement. Let me go on. A national representative survey conducted by Stop Street Harassment found that 81% of women experience some form of sexual harassment or assault in their lifetime. Who do we think is doing this? You can just read uh, about CU. Uh, every spring, CU puts out this, this study about campus life and the health of students on campus. And just about every year for the last decade, uh, we see that girls are, the, the number of girls reporting being assaulted or harassed on campus is increasing. Now, this is due to two things. First of all, there's this, there's this solidarity, solidarity for women about speaking out, which is a very good thing. But it's also because boys are being more aggressive. We are in a crisis of masculinity. We're experiencing a crisis of masculinity in our day. Now, I don't want to keep going on because I could. I could tell you about how most men don't have a single friend. We're prone to sacrifice our family, the, th the people we love the most for our careers, more prone to do that. But this is a beautiful day, and it's great to be together on Sunday. And I want to get to God's vision, okay? Because God steps in where our culture is inadequate. So our culture is good at saying this type of masculinity is toxic and bad, but they are not good at creating a new vision. CBS, uh, CBS News Network did a, a special called Speaking Frankly Raising Boys, and the whole 28-minute segment started this way. Uh, there are a lot of threads right now telling boys who they are not to be or what is not okay for them to be, what they should not be like, who they should not want to be. But there's very little vision being cast for men and boys of what it means to be male. So guys, let me remind you, God chose your gender and it is not an accident. And he wants to grace the world with his character through your gender. So first of all, zakar means to remember. Specifically, it means that to be a man means that we remember God. We remember that we come from God. It means that we're under God, that we submit to God, that our lives are not about us, but they are about him. We are meant to serve God. And this is so important because we often forget that. You know who we remember? We remember ourselves. We remember our agenda, our goals, our ambitions, our needs, but we fail to remember God. And when we fail to remember God, we fail to remember the different people around us and to move towards them in a relational way that, that makes a difference. It means that as men, we remember what God has said about us. So, so many men are acting out of their insecurity, insecurity today. If we remember the beautiful things that God has said about us, made in his image that first said about us that we are good, a man will walk around with that full heart and that free heart we talked about with women. And insecurity won't be much of an issue. But a man that forgets God is a man that is a passive man, a controlling man, a destructive man, a selfish man. But in contrast, a man that remembers God is never empty. 
They know that they're never alone. They're never without purpose. They're never lost and they're never powerless because they're continually receiving from the Holy Spirit to be the person that God has created them to be. One of the places the word Zakar shows up the most in the Bible is later on in the book of Genesis with the story of Noah and the flood. So I want you to see that remembering actually is a relational remembering that has action to it. So when you read that story, you'll see that it says, then God remembered Noah. Then God remembered Noah. And what happened then? Then God acted. He spoke to Noah. He moved towards Noah and he acted on his behalf. And then that then leads to the second part of the definition of what it means to be a male. It means to remember, then it means to move. We remember God and then we move. Until males begin to move towards others in a way that resembles and reveals God's movement towards us, they will miss their true purpose of being masculine. Men like me and you, we will settle for uh, smaller, lesser, counterfeit versions of masculinity. Remembering God then leads to moving towards others in relationships in a positive way. Now, this doesn't mean, it's really important for us to understand this, that we don't move in an aggressive, domineering way, but we move in a gentle, thoughtful, wise way towards others. This is positive movement towards other people. Uh, one of my favorite examples of this I, I saw when I was in high school. So I was, I'm the oldest of three boys, and I started walking with the Lord early on. And, but one of the things I struggled with early on was just kind of judging my family. And uh, I was really good at the older, as the older brother, brother of judging my younger brothers. And so I didn't like how my brother Brandon was living. But my brother, in many ways, was closer to the kingdom and closer to living out his true purpose than I was at times. One of the things Brandon did his sophomore year is he noticed a guy that was in our school that was in the special needs class. His name was Jose. And Jose was the athletic trainer for the basketball team and liked being around the football team and just wanted to be included in people's lives and often got overlooked because of his disabilities and just his personality. But not Brandon. My brother noticed Jose and began to include him. He used to take him to lunch with him. And as time went on, I thought maybe this would just be a fad, but Jose kept showing up more and more in our family events. So he was at our house most evenings. He was at big family events. Jose was actually in Brandon's wedding. You see what Brandon did is Brandon acted in a masculine way. He remembered God that we are to move towards the least of these. And Brandon actually moved towards him relationally. So proud of my brother and so proud to be able to tell you that story. That is what masculinity truly looks like. It looks like a little boy on a playground who sees someone by themselves and they move towards him. Movement. It looks like the dad who's got a teenage daughter um, who would rather just be left alone in a room, but he knows that she's not doing okay. He figures out how to move towards her in a meaningful way. One of the things that happens with men when they remember God and they move is they're willing to enter chaos. Usually guys hate chaos because we're not in control. We don't know what to do. But more often than not, God doesn't say go in there and fix everything. God says go in there and just bring your presence Bring who you are. Bring the presence of God there. That dad with that daughter, a teenage daughter, talk about chaos, right? A teenage high school girl. That dad will enter in. He won't be there just to fix everything, but his presence is calming and healing and loving and empowering. Men move towards others. And lastly, men, as they remember God and move towards others, they come to bring life-giving impact. The word Zakar actually has the meaning literally to pierce. Not pierced to hurt, but pierced to bring life-giving change. So um, just do this part quickly. 
What kind of impact are we to do or how do we bring impact? Well, it's two simple words, it's service and sacrifice. Men, you are made to, to, to serve others and to bring sacrifice. And I know some of you, that doesn't come naturally. That just shows that this is a calling. It's not just something that is easy for all of us to do. But we can certainly choose to be servants and to lay down our lives for others. And the greatest expression of all of this, of course, is Jesus, who, by the way, was the greatest man that ever lived. And what is the most masculine thing he ever did? But to get up on a cross and to die for us. I think that's why Paul, when talking about marriage later on in the and uh, we get in the book of Ephesians, the letter to the Ephesians. He says, husband, you're to lay down your life for your wife, just as Jesus did. So men, remember God, they move towards others. And then what do they do to bring impact? They sacrifice. They serve. There's nothing more masculine than a man that serves. Okay, a few threats to men. I mentioned a couple of them. First of all, our shadow. Uh, this title, the shadow means the cumulative pain, failure, struggle, and loss that follows a man. And so usually why there's the problem with our shadow is that we don't deal with it. So it follows us and it deals with us and it, and it just, it wreaks havoc in our life. And so what happens is, let's say a, a man has part of his shadow is he has failure in his life. And one of the things that happens with failure is it makes us feel small. And one of the primary fears of being a man is that we have no weight to our life. Okay. So, you know, failure as part of our shadow can do this. Well, what does it do is it, it doesn't give you the confidence to move towards others. Maybe we stop listening to God so that he can speak purpose and, and value into our lives. And, and that failure just stops us and it stops our movement and we're stalled. And we just, um, we just begin to take care of ourselves. The pain of your past will rob you of your masculine strength that God wants you to bring into this world. Um, let me give you an example of someone who didn't do this that we find in the scriptures. Who's someone that overcame their shadow. His, man is, his name is Joseph. And many of you know the story. Joseph had a lot of brothers. Uh, they were jealous of him, and so they sold their brother into slavery. They did the unforgettable. And Joseph went through something like 14 years of just terrible suffering uh, because of the bad choice of his brothers. He was a victim of his brothers. He, uh, they treated him like an enemy. Well, when you get to Genesis chapter 35, what has occurred now is Joseph, through these miraculous events, has risen up into power, and he's the second most powerful man in all of Egypt. And it is his job to dis distribute the food during a famine. So he's, got a, he's very important, and he's got a very important job. Well, his brothers travel to Egypt because their land is stricken by famine, and they're going there asking for food. They first enter Joseph's court, his office or the room that he's in and they don't recognize Joseph because he's dressed like an Egyptian but Joseph recognizes his brothers his enemies and we're told that when he first sees his brothers he can't handle it, and he sends them away and he goes off and he weeps he's not yet ready to move towards his brothers but this is how Joseph acted in a masculine way you get to chapter 35 verse 1 this is what it says incredible then Joseph could no longer control himself before all of his attendants and he cried out have everyone leave my presence so there was no one with Joseph, listen to this, when he made himself known to his brothers. Think of the vulnerability this man is showing right now. Verse 2, and he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard of him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Verse 3, Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. He asks, he asks is his father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified in his presence. You know why? Because his brothers know that they should be killed or thrown into prison for what they've done to him. And he now has the power and can do it. But Joseph says this, come close to me, to his enemies. Those closest to him that have hurt him the most, he says, come close to me. That is the way he moved towards his brothers that day. 
He says, I'm your brother Joseph, the one that you sold into Egypt. And that day, reconciliation began in that family. Men, we must deal with our shadows. One of the things we love to do at Cornerstone, especially within our men's ministry, is help guys in the ways they're struggling. Many men right now are kind of struggling together as they deal with porn addiction and lust. That's certainly part of your shadow. Seems to be the number one issue. You deal with that in a community, but you deal with your shadow because we don't want to give away our strength. All right, second threat, and I need to move on here, is just passivity. And passivity is the result um, of a shadow, but passivity just also comes naturally to us. Passivity is acceptance of what happens without active response or resistance when we should respond or resist. So it's accepting those things around us or in us that are unhealthy, that hurt others, that objectify others. But this is counter to what it means to be masculine. So 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13 says this, Paul speaking to the men, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Let all you do be done in love. In other words, don't be passive. Passivity often looks like a lack of action, unwillingness to move. It's blaming others. It's being silent. It's being a victim. It's forgetting your responsibilities. It's being lazy. A passive man is, uh, you know, this is just so common. A passive man's always blaming other people. They're victims. Uh, it's not my fault. Or what am I going to do? But remember, God does not ask us to enter into people's chaos to fix it, but to be present. Jesus will always lead men out of their passivity. So that's the second threat. Men are a marvel. And my favorite are my four little boys. I get to see it all the time. And the more and more they grow in their masculinity, the more beautiful they become, the more powerful they become, the more they become image bearers of God in this world. And the same is true for women. So the reason I wanted to share all that today is because I want to help bring some clarity to a confusing topic in our culture. But I also want us to have something that we celebrate. And so here's the application as I close. I think when we understand the gender around us, what this will do is it allows us to better partner, respect, and celebrate the other gender. So marriage is the ultimate example of this, a man and woman living in, in complementary fashion, both together sketching out the image of God in this world, both masculine and feminine. But we can uh, partner together and celebrate with, with the other genders, of, with friends and siblings. So I want to encourage you, celebrate the women in your life, men, especially when they're living out of these feminine qualities, call out what's good in them. And women, likewise, celebrate the men in your life. And when men actually act like men, celebrate them. Because I will tell you this, guys tend to do the things they get rewarded for. So we celebrate and we partner to bring the image of God in this world. And then second is this. These are things that we can grow in. So we all have a number of things that we can grow in. We're becoming more and more the image of God. That's part of what it means to be good. But part of that is becoming the man that God has made you to be or becoming the female that God has, the woman that God has made you to be. And so spend time around other men and women who are further down the road. So this is one thing that, that we just know uh, just from... Um, the world of sociology and anthropology and even within Christianity is that for a man to be initiated or to grow in his masculinity or a female to grow in her femininity, they must be, must be initiated by another female or a male. So in the case of men, um, I'm initiated into deeper levels of masculinity by other men. And women are initiated into deeper levels of femininity by other f females. And that is why we need people in our life that have gone before us that can help us. 
And so we always need mentors in our life that are leading us. But here's the other thing about extending the vision, that we want to be the type of person that's worthy of also being a mentor. And so I have younger men in my life who I'm constantly trying to help initiate them into their deeper levels of masculinity. And the same can go with women, that there are women in your life that you're initiating into deeper levels of femininity. That's how it grows. That's how the vision continues. And I'll tell you what, masculine strength, feminine strength together growing is a powerful thing. It's no coincidence. I mentioned this at the story of Ruth, that Ruth was a feminine woman open and nourishing. Boaz, by the way, was a very masculine man. What did he do? He remembered God. He moved towards Ruth. He brought life-giving impact. The result was the Savior. What God can do with our gender is miraculous. And so aren't we grateful for that? Let me close with this. I want you to think of Jesus for a moment. We're told that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, filled with the Spirit. He's the manifestation of that community of God that we get to experience in this world today. Jesus was a man, but did you know he brought the full qualities and characteristics of God, both feminine and masculine? And so aren't we glad that Jesus is someone that continually receives us? That he's always open to us. He never closes off, even when we do things that might hurt him. He's always loyal. He always nurtures. He always brings beauty into our lives. Aren't we grateful that Jesus is that way, that God is that way? And aren't we grateful that God revealed in Jesus is also someone who remembers us and moves towards us and impacts our lives. Aren't we grateful for that? You see, the very thing that changes our lives, the the character of Jesus, the movement of Jesus, the receiving of Jesus is the thing that he's given us to give to others. And so there's no better reason to live out your masculinity than this. It shows off the gospel and the nature of God in this world. And that's our calling. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this this simple verse. We thank you that uh, there's so much design and purpose and intentionality behind every one of us. We repent that uh, and confess, God, that we, we often don't see that in ourselves and in other people, but we certainly are created beings full of value and purpose. And I pray today that we might see that our gender is part of that. Help us to step into that. Help us to hear your voice inviting us into who you truly created us to be. And I want to bless the women in our community. I bless them with more of the feminine qualities of God lived out in them. Thank you for that beauty. Thank you for the way we get to enjoy that. And I bless more of that in them. And I also want to bless the men in our community. May the masculine qualities of God be seen in every one of our men. May they increase and may that be a blessing to their relationships, the people in their lives and the world around them. And we thank you that we can hear this together, support one another. uh, And thank you, God, that you're moving. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.